today on Ag News Daily. We offer breakthrough scalable uh, technologies to collect, preserve, and apply pollen on demand. Listeners, welcome back. Short week starting here on Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. Of the Ag News Daily Podcast, Tanner and Delaney here. Are we recovering or do we feel refreshed after our three-day weekend? Well, I think I would have felt refreshed had our flights not gotten delayed yesterday, Tanner. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I f- assumed that was going to be the answer. We, our family, stayed pretty busy this weekend, enjoying the nice weather. So you almost, almost need a buffer day to relax yeah. after just going, going, going. Yeah, and we were one of nearly 9.8 million passengers screened or pass through security over the four-day weekend as we finally, here in the U.S., reached air passenger travel that topped pre-COVID levels over Memorial Day weekend, which is usually the start of the summer travel season for many folks as kids are getting out of school and weather's nice. But Tanner, that's a lot of travelers. And with it came lots of different um, delays, cancellations, etc. But the Federal Aviation Administration uh, said on Thursday that this was the nation's post-COVID daily traffic high on Thursday in particular with over 54,000 flights. And they were also tracking, of course, the travel over the weekend and said that there's been significant improvements, however, still lots of cancellations and delays as labor shortages have certainly been a source of uh, of bad news for lots of travelers. Yeah, that's a, a bummer, but that's kind of neat to see that levels are getting ramped back up. We're hoping to get some moisture levels ramped back up in portions of the U.S., Of course, we've got some thunderstorm warnings in area for Nebraska and western Iowa today and tonight. Parts of Nebraska could see severe storms that come with hail and strong winds. Severe weather is likely to continue into Wednesday as the chances of rain will continue to push through. Southern Missouri, parts of Arkansas will see isolated thunderstorms as well. But when you look at the current drought monitor as of May 23rd, there is a very distinct pattern of the eastern Nebraska, most of Kansas, two-thirds of Oklahoma, and the panhandle of Texas in the severe, extreme, or exceptionally high levels of drought. But I think what's sneaking up on us is areas of the Corn Belt starting to hit the abnormally dry area. Could you still see possibilities for flash drought showing up? It looks like USDA's meteorologist Brad Rippey is now evaluating as the month of May comes to an end. Chicago will continue to watch this, but we are now seeing potentially the second driest month or second driest May on record. The interesting desires here for those trading is continuing to watch right now it looks like less than a half an inch of rain has hit portions of the corn belt in the month of may so what does that mean for the future of the crops right now the drought areas match up to 26 percent of the corn acres 36 percent of cotton acres 20 percent of soybean acres and nearly half of all wheat acres 
are in some level of drought. So it'll be interesting to continue to watch that, Delaney. Yeah, and a lot of analysts, Tanner, are now claiming to officially be in a weather market because, as you mentioned, there are a lot of areas are really close to needing a rainfall. Even some of those areas in the Midwest that had timely rains heading into planting season now are looking for another drop of rain here as we head into the next stages v4 v5 v6 of a lot of acres here of corn so certainly something to keep an eye on there as we're watching potential drought loom and demand drop for a lot of commodities but one thing we saw late last week tanner was a debt ceiling deal finally between president biden and house speaker kevin mccarthy reached on sunday which suspends the debt ceiling until january 1st 2025 but we're not completely out of the woods yet, as we saw the bipartisan deal to raise 31.4 or to raise the debt ceiling to $31.4 trillion faces its first test in Congress on Tuesday today, setting up what could be a nail biting week of voting before the United States runs out of money to pay the bills, Tanner. But we will see both the House and Senate vote on that bill this week, and hopefully it slides through. And we don't see it come yet again to the 11th hour, but at least we have seen now McCarthy and Biden put their stamp of approval on this $31.4 trillion deal. That is a lot of money. Yeah, it's interesting to see what size of the parties continue to give up and retain as far as their plans go. Of course, the focus was to not let this affect the 2024 presidential election. It does include caps on non-defense spending categories. So as this works together, you see categories that now have uh, caps to them uh, as far as medical care for veterans, uh, as well as uh, outside monitoring of COVID-19 relief funds. Uh, we continue to see veterans, though, get additional benefits as the PACT Acts stays included. It looks to expand the work requirements for those adults receiving food stamps. There is a clawback on some of the 2000 or yeah, the 2020 COVID-19 relief funds, about $28 billion of unobligated relief packages is looking to be clawed back and re-put back into the budget. The IRS is receiving a potential cut to the funding for their department. It is looking to restart student loan payments for those that have currently had deferred payments. Climate and clean energy measures are still going to remain a focus under the new part of this bill. And the pipeline in West Virginia for labeled as the Mountain Valley Pipeline for natural gas is included as a target to continue to move forward. So it's including a lot of things that uh, will continue to be a focus under what the administrations are looking to meet. As like you said, it takes its first obstacle on this week as far as uh, getting through Congress. Otherwise, Bipartisan Safety and Rail Act has been put into law for Minnesota. Minnesota Governor Tim Waltz signed a two-person crew bill into law. This is obviously a discussion comes nearly a year after rail strikes had started. This is a culmination of 10 years of hard work, he stated, stating now that uh, even though there hasn't been federal regulation in place, crews now, no matter the size of the 
no matter the size of the crew, will always have a two-person minimum, whether the train is of one car or multiple cars. So he continues to work towards protecting the safety of his rail workers within his state, Delaney. Yeah, and I'm not surprised. This uh, has been a big push after we've seen lots of rail car derailments and issues within the transportation sector. So safety seems proven there. So good. Yeah, it was interesting. Minnesota is the 12th state. I figured the number of states would be larger than that, but they are the 12th to enact this type of legislation. Well, Tanner, on Friday afternoon, heading into the holiday weekend, we saw the latest cattle on feed report, which indicated another drop in U.S. cattle inventory. As of May 1st, there were 11.61 million head of cattle on feedlots, down 3.5% from last May. April feedlot placements totaled 1.75 million head, about 4% lower than 2022, and April fed cattle marketing once again dropped 10% from the previous year. A lot of the report cited drought conditions as being one of the main drivers for lower cattle numbers across the country. However, according to the USDA, over 40% of the country is still in some level of drought and could impact this year's cattle herd once again. They said many of the largest cow producing areas have been hit the hardest. And in 2022, 93% of beef cattle were in states where most of the range was very poor to fair, leading to higher culling rates than we've typically seen in years past, Tanner. So all in all, this is fairly positive for the cattle industry as we're continuing to see steady to increase demand as well as lower cattle numbers that should keep a pretty good uh, floor underneath the cattle markets here. Yeah, I saw that as well. I've just got my last two headlines all meld together since they both include Russia. We talked a little bit last week about the Chinese and Russian trade continuing to escalate. Furthermore, China exports to Russia reached a record high in April, amounting to $9.6 billion worth or 153% increase from last year. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. China's slow transition to Russian ag has continued to increase its purchases of food from Russia. For instance, Russian edible oils, primarily sunflower and rapeseed, now constitute for more than 25% of China's imports for those categories, up from 13% a year before. So we'll continue to watch those. Obviously, we look at where the trade has come so far in the first months here. Imports of wheat have now received nearly a 60% boost, up to 6 million tons in the first four months of the year. Russia only supplied 30,000 tons to China the year before, so we'll continue to keep an eye on that. Looks like over the weekend, both Russia and Ukraine were busy exchanging battle tax. Last night, Russia's defense ministry blamed Ukraine for a drone attack on Moscow. Ukraine has denied any direct involvement with that. Two people were injured and many buildings damaged. They're stating that this could be due to an interior report. The report attacks yet further Russian bombardments on Kiev overnight. At least one person was killed. The Ukrainian air defense claims it shot down 29 Iranian-made drones. Ukrainian officials are continuing to evaluate the damage. 
This was a little bit unusual as there was a missile attack during the day on Monday when typically the attacks have come at night. We'll continue to see and watch the progress. President Zelensky has stated the counteroffensive has been scheduled. He did not provide any specific details, but warned that the counteroffensive is coming. So those are my updates involving Russia, Ukraine, and China, Delaney, but I'm out of news. I think I am as well, aside from chatting markets here, Tanner. And as we come out of the holiday weekend, grain prices are looking pretty ugly here at the open. July old crop corn down two and a quarter cent at 602. New crop corn, however, is down nine and a half cents as we head into the normal shortened week this week at 525. July soybeans down 17 cents here at the open at 13, 19 and three quarters. New crop beans down 22 and a quarter cents at 11.67 and a quarter. Even wheat is not spared from today's bloodbath as we open in the July contract down 27 and a half cents at 7.91 and a half. Taking a look at the livestock markets here today, trading the cattle on feed report, the cattle complex is pushing higher. August live cattle up 65 cents today at a buck 65.82. August feeder cattle adding 202 at the open at 235.92. And June lean hogs even getting a nice little bump here today, up $1.87 at 77.95. Tanner, for today's Tech Tuesday interview, we are chatting with Power Pollen, a company that may be familiar to many folks here in the Midwest. So let's turn it over to that conversation. A true Tech Tuesday conversation. We're staying local just right down the road from where we're at. I'm proud to have Jason Cope, co-founder and chief intellectual property officer with Power Pollen here to join us today. Welcome to the podcast, Jason. Uh, Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Absolutely. So before we jump into who Power Pollen is, let's first start off with a little bit of your background. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. So as you mentioned, my name is Jason Cope, uh, co-founder of Power Pollen. Uh, My actual educational background is a combination of engineering, biological sciences, and environmental science. And essentially what I've done in industry over the last 25 years is innovate new technologies with help, which help to make agriculture more productive and more sustainable. And uh, the last eight years, of course, have been with Power Pollen, and I'm excited to talk about some of our technology breakthroughs that we have here. Yeah, because we have had, it might have been you, Jason, to be honest, but it's been a few years since we've chatted with the Power Pollen team, and you guys have had a lot of exciting updates since then. But for those of our listeners who didn't catch that episode a few years ago, give us the 10,000-foot view of who Power Pollen is and why you guys were started. Yeah, Power Pollen is an Iowa-based ag tech company, and we offer breakthrough scalable uh, technologies to collect, preserve, and apply pollen on demand. And this really helps improve the productivity, the profitability, and the sustainability of modern ag practices. Wow, that's exciting. So what types of crops can this technology be used with? Well, our primary focus has been with corn. And uh, we started with the actual seed producers. So we have existing uh, licenses to Bayer and Corteva. And uh, what we focused on with uh, the actual technology is ways to reduce cost of goods and increase yield. 
and uh, at a really, again, a, a 10 mile high view, uh, we amass huge amounts of pollen via collection and we actually preserve that pollen to keep it highly viable and we apply it on demand. And the ability to, to apply on demand ensures that you're receiving the highest yield possible. Now, Jason, when you say apply on demand, what does that mean and how does the application process actually work? That's a great question. So uh, since we were really pioneers in this area, there was no technology that existed to not only preserve pollen, but to actually go out and apply it. So what we've done is we've actually focused on building machinery that allows us to take the preserved pollen and go out and meter it in ways that uh, has a high level of accuracy to get the pollen to land on the silks. Utilization uh, process. So I get to drive by your location south of Ames each day on my way back and forth to the office. And it looks like you've got a growing team there, but is Power Pollen more than just in the state of Iowa? So Power Pollen's headquarters is in the state of Iowa, but we have a lot of activity well outside of Iowa. Uh, we have a research location in Puerto Rico where we have uh, four full-time staff members and a growing team there. We're actually gonna double that footprint here over the next six months. We're active in South America. We're starting to ramp up in Europe. Um, we do quite a bit of work in Texas, but I think the general trend is the world has needs in terms of uh, making sure that uh, pollen um, maximizes the potential benefit uh, that they have during their, their pollination season. And uh, there's a real pull for power pollen technologies to have a world presence. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think when we chatted with you a few years ago, you didn't have quite as big of a team and locations that you that you have currently today. How has that expansion helped you better be able to serve farmers here in the Midwest? Yeah, I appreciate that question. It's a really good one. Uh, first, let me say this uh, company, the growth of it has been just a wonderful experience. We've brought on uh, a lot of new individuals, whether the, the discipline is engineering or biological sciences or operations or even administrative. Um, and that new talent is just amazing to work with. But it also gives you the ability to expand your footprint and focus technology transfer, number one, to make sure that people are using the technology and receiving the maximum, but also to uh, operate in um, geographies in which we were not present prior. And I think Brazil is a great example of that. Built a team that um, understands the country quite well and is able to go down and continue to expand the growth of our technology. So as you look towards the future, your continued growth and monitoring of patents, as well as the focus, is it still around sustainability as you look to what the growth in the future looks like? Yes, so sustainability is certainly one of our key elements that we have, uh, but we're also really focused on reliability. Uh, so we're able to go into crops that are threatened by weather events, as an example and uh, make sure that uh, the yield that comes out of those fields are um, much higher than it would have been under situations of, of normal stress. <clears throat> the final key that I would really put out there is um, food security. When you look at a glowing global population and the need to consistently feed that population, um, our focus is really ensuring that there's enough food in the food chain 
uh, growing population. So Jason, as you look at specific applications here for growers, talk to us about some of the benefits that they've seen in the field utilizing power pollens in season control. Yeah, so benefits for growers. I love this question because um, you'll hear the excitement in my voice. It's just such a neat thing that we're able to offer growers. Uh, if you look at a traditional growing situation, uh, a farmer's field is self-pollinating. And so it lacks that ability to really um, change what the outcome is going to be short of when they actually put the seed in the ground. Utilizing in-season control for power pollen, a farmer gets to make decisions well into the growing season on uh, what trait or what source of pollen they'd like to use to actually cross-pollinate into their grain field, which gives them not only the ability to control the outcome, but make more informed decisions, which results in increased yield and uh, most certainly increased profitability. So this is exciting, and I know some of our listeners are going to be really curious about what we've talked about today. If they want to look up more about power pollen and learn more for themselves, how do they do that? Well, I'd encourage them to go to our website, which is www.powerpollen.com for more information. They could also look on LinkedIn. We have a good presence on LinkedIn, and they can see some of our uh, latest work that we're doing. Uh, and learn more about some of the pilots that we're actually doing in grain. Fantastic, Jason. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. We certainly appreciate your time and looking forward to continuing to see the developments coming down Power Pollen's pipeline. Well, it's it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity and I couldn't be more excited about uh, what Power Pollen's doing and uh, our future in partnering with growers to make uh, agriculture more productive. Well, there you go, Delaney, right down the road from where I sit as we record this today. So fun to have that conversation and share some late, latest news and trends on the agronomy side of things. But listeners, short week, we've got three more shows to bring you. Don't go too far, right, Delaney? They can follow us on social media. But for today, what do you say? Should we let them go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.